Hello, this is Bixby. Welcome to the Bixby Developers Chat Podcast. Here is your host, Roger Kibbe. Hello, Bixby Developer Chat listeners. Today, I have the honor of talking with Adrian Simple. Adrian hosts the Gaming Observer, a very popular short-form podcast about what's new in the gaming industry. Adrian is also a student at Ryerson University in Toronto. Welcome, Adrian. Please introduce yourself. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Roger. My name is Adrian Simple. Uh, I run a flash briefing slash mini podcast called The Gaming Observer. Uh, and as mentioned, I'm in Toronto, Canada, uh, studying technical theater uh, and the live performance industry and everything that goes into that. Uh, and I've kind of fallen out of favor with that industry as I've started my show, but uh, that's what I'm studying. Hey, Adrian, tell us more about The Gaming Observer. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so the Gaming Observers is a, a three to five minute uh, news show. Uh, every Monday to Friday, I cover kind of the the three to four biggest headlines in the video games industry, uh, and it could be anything from looking at the analytics of like the financial analytics of a of a quarterly uh, from a public company, or it could be uh, just the latest of what's going on with the newest video games. So, I like to cover that stuff. Uh, and I, I get now I get around 10,000 plays a week. So it's really snowballed in a way that I never expected. Uh, I started it about a year and a half ago. So uh, yeah, working every single day on that. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So Adrian, how did you start it? What was your inspiration for starting the Gaming Observer? Yeah, sure. So um, about a year and a half ago, I guess maybe it's closer to two years now, uh, I had a friend tell me about the flash briefing feature on Alexa. I was known for wanting to develop some kind of content. I've been playing video games my whole life, and I have the, the microphone set up and everything, but I was never really able to kick anything off. Uh, in my teens, I had wanted to be a YouTuber. So anyway, my friend knew that I was this way, and she's like, hey, there's this really cool feature called Flash Briefings on Alexa. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So I went and I bought myself a device. I, I looked at the feature, and I went and I typed in video games, and nobody was talking about video games on the feature. And I was like, huh. That's strange. I feel like this is something that a lot of people would be listening to and people love video games, but nobody's really doing anything. So I pulled out my microphone and I started the flash briefing of my own. I kind of figured out you know, how to get everything set up. Uh, and then it started. And then within a few months, I had like a few hundred listeners a day, which was really, really strange because I hadn't done any advertising or any, you know, it was all organic growth. So I, I just started it because I had a good sort of background to, to get it started, but then also the opportunity was there. You know, I always say that you should follow your passions, right? And if you're passionate about something, sharing it with other people is always a, a good idea. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. So tell me more about you and gaming. Sure. Yeah. I, it's, it's funny. You know, I, I've had a controller in my hand basically since I was four and I've never let go of it. Um, when I was very young, I, I had a, a Super Nintendo. I had various Nintendo consoles over, over the course of my life. When I got into the sort of teenager years of my life, I was pretty heavily going into Xbox and console gaming. Uh, and then just, I guess it's about five years ago now, I built my own PC. Uh, so I've been mainly a PC gamer. But yeah, growing up, it's, it's always been a part of my life. Uh, I've always, even if I wasn't necessarily playing all of the latest and greatest games, I was on the internet reading about them or interacting with the people who were making them or, or whatever it was. I was. I've always kind of had my touch on the pulse of the industry. So anyway, yeah, I've, I've kind of always been around it. I've always been playing it. Uh, and yeah, now it's, now it's a, like you said, it's a great opportunity to just share that passion with a whole bunch of people. Yeah, you know, when you share your passion, it really comes through. 
Oh, absolutely. I was listening uh, yesterday to, to some of your um, flash briefings and your longer, slightly longer form podcast. And you can really tell that you really care about it. And that comes through. And I think that kind of genuine, I'm interested in this. I want to share it with you really makes success because people mm-hmm. can feel that and hear that. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that is so unique about that type of content. As like I started on the flash briefings. Now I'm on also I'm on Google and I'm on Bixby. But that sort of format of just three minutes and then put me into your routine and put me into your morning routine and get me to listen every single day. That really opens up the the ability to say like, hey, I'm going to be there with you every day. I'm a friend and I also love video games. And let's share in that sort of excitement. I love it. I'm a friend. That's a great way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Adrian, so back to the video games. So you've been gaming for pretty much since you were uh, uh, very young. What's just some of your all-time favorite video games and why? Oh, man. Okay, yeah. There, there's obviously a whole bunch of answers, I guess, that can that can go with that. Traditionally, I have said that my favorite game of all time was The Binding of Isaac. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, which you probably most people listening to this probably haven't, uh, it, essentially the concept is that it's intended to be played and beaten over and over again. So you go through the game, you beat it, and then you you're you can go and start it all all over again. It, it created a genre called roguelike, where essentially uh, all of the elements are random. So every single level is random, every single enemy is random, and uh, and then that that gives you sort of the incentive to keep playing it. So I have like over eight hundred hours in that game. Uh, my most played game definitely of all time. Uh, besides that, uh, more recently, I played a game called Hollow Knight, uh, which is a Metroidvania. I, I really love the art style of that game. It, it, just the, the overall aesthetic and the setting that it places itself in is, is very uh, cohesively designed and in a way that you won't see a lot of other games, which is really cool, especially from an indie, an indie studio. So yeah, that's probably like my two go-to answers right now. Uh, but of course, I've had various favorites over the course of multiple years. And are these PC games then? Uh, Hollow Knight is available on all consoles, I believe. And uh, Binding of Isaac is as well, but most people will play that one on PC. All right. Well, I'm going to have to admit that I'm super old school. I'll answer the same question and tell you that uh, uh, if I had room in my house and if my family allowed it, we'd have some old video game consoles in here. Uh-huh. My favorite all-time games are Defender and Tempest. Nice. So, yeah, I'm super old school <laughs> there. Um, but I, I, you know, I kind of grew up playing those and, and still love them. And every once in a while, I see them in an arcade. And my wife thinks I'm silly because I run over and, and play them and get all excited. And I'm <laughs> a teenager again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the day that I'm not a full-time student and I maybe have a home of my own where I could get a, a, an arcade machine or something like that in a, in a little man cave. Awesome. Definitely choose a house that has a man cave. That's my advice. <laughs> Hey, so let's switch gears a bit and talk about short-form audio, flash briefing, shortcasts. There's a lot of names for it. You mentioned this a little bit, but what attracted you to that as a medium? What was the interest that that said, hey, this is the right medium for me to share my passion with an audience? Yeah, it was was kind of like a perfect storm. Uh, Like I was saying earlier, I had that passion already. I, but I didn't like at this point, I know what makes the platform so great. But at that point, I didn't. And mostly the reason why I chose it was because I saw that the only other people doing video games was this really major news network called the uh, IGN. And they they're really well known. But they didn't have that great of reviews like on the Alexa storefront. So I was like, hey, I, I think I could make a pretty good show. Uh, let's go in there and at least try it out. Right. 
So that's why I chose it. And on top of that, you know, it's relatively easy to create. Uh, if you go on YouTube and, and you plan on making content there or a, a podcast or something like that, um, you're looking at hours of content potentially a week. Uh, whereas on a format like this, I was, it was really easy for me to sit down for a few hours and just make a solid three to five minute show. You know, I can do that every day. I can put that into my routine. Uh, and then, you know, so, so there was also the advantages of the type of content it was. Yeah. So I'm curious about your routine. Is it every day? And, and how much time do you spend? Because I think there's a lot of people listening who may be interested in doing something similar, creating yeah, sure. their own kind of short cast. And they'd be curious, though, about the effort involved in it. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I, when I first started, it took me quite a while because I was still trying to navigate everything and figure out how I wanted to do it. So in the beginning for a three-minute show, I was taking about three hours uh, to get everything together. Um, in part, that's because of the content that I'm covering. You know, I have to go through all of the various news articles that are put out there, you know, put it together into a cohesive script, record it, edit it, upload it. It is a whole process. So nowadays, it takes me like at best 90 minutes uh, where I can do that entire process. On a bad day, it'll take two and a half hours, maybe if it's if it's a slow news day or I'm not feeling all that great or whatever it is. Um, I cover the news specifically every Monday to Friday. So that's kind of in my routine as like a weekday, uh, you know, get it, get down, sit down, let's go to work. And then on the weekends, I usually do something a little special. So on Saturdays, I like to have like a listener interaction day where listeners can tune in and write in and, and have their answers to a question uh, heard out on the show. Uh, on the Sunday, I'll just do something random, whatever, I'm, whatever I feel like. So those two days are usually a little bit quicker for me to record because I don't necessarily need a script. I don't necessarily have to do a bunch of research. Uh, so maybe those days will take about an hour. But I do try and put a lot of effort into each episode uh, to make them as you know beneficial to the listener as possible. Uh, and in the same way that people are kind of listening to me every single day and putting it into their routines, uh, me creating the show has become a routine for myself. I, I notice sometimes I go on holiday and I don't create a show and I'm like, wow, this is weird that I don't, you know, at 7 p.m. I'm not creating something. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's my process right now. Got it. You know, I love that listener first approach, right? That's the key to success. Is Oh, I'm very big on that. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the early days. So you launched this as a flash briefing. How to go early? How did you get listeners? How'd that work? <laughs> it was it was very strange. Like, Basically, since the beginning, I've done very little advertising. Like nowadays, I'm I'm more on the Twitter scene and I'm able to talk to people more. But in the beginning, I was literally just sit down at my desk, hit the record button, upload it, and then see what happens. And uh, for some reason, you know, people maybe at the right time or it's just happening all the time or whatever it is. But people were typing in video games into the flash briefing section. They came across my show and they liked it enough to stick around. Those early days were were strange for me and just kind of in my personal life. Uh, I was working at a job at that point that I really was not happy with. Uh, I was going into a program, like my current program, I've, I've, I've settled now. I'm, I've accepted where I am and what I'm doing. But at the time, I was really down on it. I was thinking about dropping out and, and it just wasn't a great thing. So being able to start the Observer in those early days, I think was really essential to, to my personal mental health and, and my life situation because, you know, all of a sudden I found this success. You know, it was coming out of nowhere, hundreds of people listening. And uh, it was talking about something that I was really actually passionate about, whereas theater, I was kind of disenfranchised because of that job. So yeah, the early days, it was, it was definitely formative for me. Uh, and it, it's, it, was, it was a very interesting time. Yeah. That's awesome. So really being rewarded for uh, sharing your passion. What could be better? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it blew me away and it blew, it blew me away and it blew everybody I talked to away. You know, the people who are familiar with YouTube and podcasts, like it's very unlikely that you just start creating content and people are there, you know, without advertising, without partnerships, without anything. And so that opportunity was, was really something that I felt the need to take advantage of. Great. Yeah. It sounded like kind of the right time, right content, and you got in your niche and it was perfect. I'm sure there's listeners who are like I said, interested in starting their own uh, short class, flash briefing. What advice would you give them? You touch on a few things, but any more advice? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's more like, what can I advise? It, there, so if anybody would like to see, I did a talk at Project Voice, which was a, a conference a few weeks ago. Um, I, I have a YouTube channel, if you just search Adrian Simple. And I did a talk about how I grew the Observer uh, it's about 30 minutes long. And there's a lot of advice in there that they can definitely take from. Uh, some of my big things is, for, for one, uh, experiment. E- experiment like crazy. Um, we're in this period right now where the idea of shortcasts in general and, and flash briefings or where, you know, that content hosted on any platform um, is so new and it's so unexplored that I really encourage everybody to go in there and just try something. You know, if you hear something that you like from it, and that's actually another good piece of advice is listen to as many as you can. Uh, I try to fit in like a dozen flash briefings a day for me, just so I can hear what I'm listening to, hear what I'm liking, hear what I'm disliking, and then try and incorporate that into my show. So if you're thinking of starting your own, definitely go listen to what other people are doing, what's working for them, but then don't necessarily feel like you're constrained to what they're doing. Uh, if you're going to start with an Alexa flash briefing, they give you 10 minutes of audio. And most flash briefings are under five and then probably actually under two, two minutes. But if you go in there and you say, hey, I'm going to make the best 10 minute flash briefing that I can, uh, I think that's like a really good and not work out, but it might also work out uh, because like I said, it's, it's so young. So experiment like crazy. Uh, don't feel like you're constrained with anything. Uh, the other thing I recommend, and like we said, we kind of touched on it earlier. Um, I'm all about putting just that listener experience first. You know, if you're focusing on the content that people want to hear, you know, I I promise three to five minutes of video game news every single day. Uh, If I was going in there talking about my life or like talking about the latest sports event, people are going to wonder what's going on, right? So they're, they're there for video games. I'm there for video games. So we make that happen. And I think if you go in there with a promise, with something that you think people want to listen to, something that you're really passionate about, Uh, really prioritize that and prioritize the experience that the listener is having, uh, especially because you you only have them for three minutes or for five minutes or whatever it is uh, in the morning every single day. And you don't want to be trying to, you know, divert too heavily. So I I think starting off, if you're just starting off with flash briefings, that's like a good place to start. Uh, The more you create, the more you listen, the better you're going to have like a, a good solid foundation to work off of. Great. That's excellent advice. And I will put a link to that YouTube channel in the show notes for sure. Awesome. Um, I took a look. Yeah, I think you recorded two of them. They're both excellent. So yeah, thank definitely, definitely must watches. So Adrian, now you're in the, I'll call it the big league, so to speak. You have thousands of listeners, <laughs> at least solid five-star reviews on your flash briefing. What if anything has changed from the early days? Has your show evolved? Or has it stayed true to its roots? What's been evolution or, or lack of evolution? Because what worked continues to work. Yeah, sure. You know, I used to think that nothing had changed, right? I, it kind of felt like I was doing the same thing over and over for a long time. So I went back to, to listen to those old videos. And 
it's so it, it is very different. It, it's I was a lot more like news bulletin. I was a lot more monotone. I didn't even sound really all that excited, despite what the Amazon reviews were saying, just kind of in my own mind. I was like, man, I sound really bored about this really exciting video game news. Uh, so when I go back now, I'm like, wow, that's like way different. Uh, nowadays, I'm a lot more excited. I'm a lot more active. I, you know, I'm, I'm louder. But in terms of like the format of the show and the things that I cover, it actually hasn't changed all that much. It's still, you know, the same amount of time generally. It's the same format of, you know, here's an introduction, here's a news, 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 an outro broken up with some sound effects. So that that style hasn't necessarily changed, but you know, what what isn't broke, you don't fix, right? Absolutely. Sage advice always. So one of the things that really intrigues me is that you're using voice to talk about a completely different medium, video games. So changing beers a bit. I'm very intrigued by the marriage of voice and video games. There's certainly a lot of creativity going on right now in the voice-first gaming world, voice-led games. But I also think about the opposite way of how can the traditional video game industry use voice. What I've seen is kind of complementary marketing. So there's skills for Assassin's Creed and Skyrim, for example. And I think voice is... An excellent marketing tool, uh, often underutilized marketing tool, and there are a lot of opportunities there. What are your thoughts around the video game industry creating complementary skills or actions or capsules to support their actual video games? I think that that kind of that third party, or I shouldn't say third party, but that that separate Alexa skill or voice experience that they create um, as a marketing tool. I think it's a great idea. You know, they 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 have the opportunity to really provide a unique experience that the typical or casual gamer doesn't necessarily experience on a day to day you know thing playing their game, right? Uh, we like you mentioned, we saw it with Skyrim, which was an April Fool's joke, unfortunately. But there, we've seen it with Assassin's Creed and Pokemon. Like they they have definitely experimented with those things. But I think like in terms of like looking at it in the long term and looking at it as a not necessarily as a game itself, but as an accessory to the game, there's opportunities, but it hasn't found its footing yet. I think they're seen as relatively niche or as as gimmicks uh, from the casual gamer. And I'm looking forward to how they can, you know, really build on that and work towards, you know, making it a, a cooler thing or a thing that more people want to interact with. And I mean, it's a whole different story when you're talking about the modern video games themselves and, and using voice technology in those games. Uh, but when we're talking about, you know, the separate, the separate voice experiences on the voice devices, uh, it's, it's a little tricky. Yeah. You know, the thing about gaming is it's very passionate users. And I think that some of the very best voice experiences uh, leverage a passionate user base people who may not be playing the game, but they want some more information about it or interact with it or have some way of experiencing that joy and excitement they have with the game, uh, even when they're not playing it. So I'm with you that there's a lot of opportunities there and the gaming industry has not fully taken advantage of them. But you mentioned this, talking about the other side of the equation is using uh, voice is actually a modality while playing a video game. Mm -hmm. So maybe my primary modality is a controller, right? And I'm using that. 
But uh, what's your thoughts around using voice as a modality for input into a video game to kind of enhance the play or make it easier to play the game? Yeah, sure. So uh, conveniently, there was also another talk on that YouTube channel we mentioned earlier that talks all about this. It's, it's really interesting because there actually is a deep history of using voice technology in games, but most people don't know about it or find it pretty like as a gimmick. If you go back as early as the 1990s, the late 1990s, uh, I, the earliest example I could find, but there might be older, it was a game called Hey You Pikachu. So it was, a, it was the, using the Pokemon franchise. Uh, and it came with a, a voice unit that you could plug into your N64 and you could just talk to Pikachu. And it was, it was an experience. And I think there's actually an Alexa skill right now called Hey You Pikachu or something like that. And it was very similar to that. Uh, but with the game, you just were like, hey, Pikachu, go get that ball. And then he would go get the ball and come back. And then you could do these various activities. It wasn't well received. It was like, you really have to be like a diehard Pokemon fan, Pokemon fan to really love this. Like I said, it was kind of seen as a gimmick. Uh, there was another game called Seaman, which was this very, very strange aesthetic. It was like a human head on a, on a fish in a fish tank. And it was, it was um, I believe it was, a, it was for the... Uh, Oh gosh, what was it for the Commodore or something? I, I can't remember. Anyway, the uh, the whole game was that you were taking care of these fish, so it was a, it was a management uh, taking care of an aquarium game. But then you could talk to your fish at any point. You could go into your microphone and you could say, "Hey, you know, let's have a conversation," and then the fish would talk back to you. And again, that was in the late '90s. Now you you look at everything that's happened over the course of the last 20 years, uh, or I guess yeah, 20 years now, and not. A whole much has changed. We've seen some games in the 2000s to 2010s that were kind of experimental, looking at games that are controlling characters fully. You know, go walk over there, go shoot that enemy, um, various things like that. Uh, and even some pretty popular franchises. SOCOM, uh, Tom Clancy, you know, they had some opportunities there where you're able to communicate with some AI teammates. And then really, I think where it mostly hit the mainstream was uh, the Xbox Kinect. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, it was a, it was a visual camera uh, a, a sort of accessory to the Xbox. And what it let you do, what it was most well known for was like a, like a just dance type thing or an exercise thing where it would track your body and you could interact with your hands and your body and movement and controlling the game that way. But what it also had was a voice component. And so some people were playing games with their controller on some very, very popular games. Battlefield Five, Dragon Age Inquisition, right? These, these major AAA games selling millions and millions of copies. Uh, and then they would talk to the Kinect and they would say, you know, switch to this gun or open my map or whatever it was. Um, unfortunately, not a lot of people actually loved the Kinect. Not necessarily for the voice features, but just as a unit as a whole. And so eventually that, that unit got discontinued. So sort of voice was there. It was present. It was being talked about. But then it got, you know, pushed away for other reasons. So the earliest, or I should say the latest example that we can find of like a really good voice-controlled game with that d design in mind, uh, it was called There Came an Echo. Um, and it's all about having like a squad of four people and you say, you know, uh, unit one, move to Bravo A. And then you set everybody up. And then in the midst of battle, you can say, switch to this gun, uh, attack this enemy. And it, it's just a lot of talking over and over and over again, trying to overcome the enemies. Um, I highly encourage people to check that out. If you're in the voice industry, you're interested in voice and gaming. Uh, it's called There Came an Echo. It's really like a modern example of like, how can we make a video game exclusively with voice, right? Because the interesting thing, like you were saying, this new modality, this new way of playing, 
we've been asking players to play video games for 50 years with a controller in their hand. How are we going to change that? And so you really have to look at the examples that have come through over the past 20 years, what has worked, what hasn't, and, and really go from there. Great. Well, that's an excellent history. And clearly you thought a lot about this and opportunities and challenges there. And I have to say as an aside that uh, I mourn the death of the Kinect. Mm. Not so much for voice, but I loved, uh, well, I still, my Xbox One still has the adapter and the Kinect attached because the very few games that are these kind of silly sports games, I have fun playing those games with my kids. So too bad it went away, but I understand it wasn't very popular. But back to voice. Do you think the video game industry is missing out on an opportunity here with using voice more? Where would you like to see the video game industry use voice more or differently in the next year, five years, et cetera? I want voice to have a presence in the gaming industry as something that is different, that is fun, and that is like a reasonable replacement for the controller. Or, or an accessory to the controller, even. What I'd really love is to get away from that stereotype I was talking earlier about it being a gimmick or it being a niche or something that a developer has just tacked on to their game and move towards this more, how can we make this a new, interesting experience? Um, that's what There Came an Echo was able to do. People were able to see that and be like, hey, I could have a lot of fun with that. Um, and, and so I, I'm interested in changing that perspective. There's also... You know, I think the big future for, for video games and for, for audio and voice is, uh, is through VR, right? VR, virtual reality, is trying to do very similar things that voice is. Where In terms of, I don't know if there's anybody out there who's specifically trying to make voice happen in the modern gaming industry. I'm sure there are. But I think more frequently, you'll find people trying to develop voice games for voice devices. But in any event... Uh, the, the person who's trying to make voice happen in the gaming industry is trying to do similar things to VR. You're trying to overcome the 50 years of history with controllers. You're trying to get through this immersion barrier where a lot of people are playing games and listening to music at the same time or watching a, a video at the same time, their television, um, and instead trying to get their full attention on the game because you can't talk to your game and likely you can't talk to your game and watch television at the same time. So I think there's a lot of opportunity with bringing voice into VR and really integrating those core design aspects into virtual reality. But in terms of outside of that, uh, it's really difficult, you know, because like I said, traditionally, a lot of people have just been tacking it on to their games or, or adding it on as like an experimental feature. Yeah, certainly a design challenge to say, hey, we have a different way of interacting, but let's make it a way that's the best way of interacting. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're spot on around. I, I've always thought that voice and AR, VR are definitely a marriage and make a lot of sense together. Switching gears and talking about uh, flash briefings, short form audio, where would you like to see that go over the next year, five years, uh, etc.? Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting one. It's tough, right? I think... I don't know what kind of talks you guys are having at Bixby of, of it being potentially a type of feature that you have uh, through the AI service. I, I certainly don't expect you to be having those conversations, but if you're having those conversations um, or at Alexa or at Google, it's really complicated because it, we haven't seen mass adoption of this sort of this type of content, but we're certainly seeing the opportunity, right? And so when it comes to, to looking at it at a macro level, how are we going to move this forward? 
Um, I think it relies a lot on the, the big players and the people who are making those decisions. But I don't necessarily think it's going to live or die on that. If Alexa comes out or the Alexa team or the Amazon team comes out tomorrow and they say, we're canceling the flash briefing feature, um, I don't think that's necessarily the end of it, right? Because we now they, they've enabled third-party skills into their routines. I know Bixby and Google do that as well. Um, that's a really powerful feature because I can go through and I can say, let's make a flash briefing-like experience and then people can put it in their routines. So that sort of thing isn't, isn't I'm not too worried about that. However, if any of you guys, you know, decide, okay, let's go all in on this. The thing that I would really love to see is kind of just a hyper focus on the individual experience of the person listening. Something that I would really love is I'm playing my show to the person listening. And then that person at any point can go, hey, ask Adrian a question. And then they say something. Uh, they say, you know, here's a question about video games. And then I get it in a spreadsheet or, or wherever on my computer. And then I can answer that question next time on the show. Right. So it's really furthering this idea that I'm sitting there in the room talking to them and they can potentially talk back to me. Uh, something I'd really love is, you know, maybe even individual feeds for the person listening. So if somebody asks that question and I don't want it to go out to every single person, just that one person, uh, I can direct it to them. I know that's probably super complicated on the other side of things, but just from the person creating, uh, I'm really interested in developing this idea that we can have these one on one experiences and the, these very individualistic interests um, and, and sort of driving that further. So yeah, that's kind of like where my focus is in terms of that. And that's something I try to replicate in everything else I'm doing. Uh, I'm looking into ways that I can, I can just have a, a more personal connection with my listeners, not as a community, but as an individual. You know, that's really interesting. You talk about interactivity because, uh, well, both of us were at the, the Voice Summit last uh, month. And I talked to several, oh, both podcasters and kind of people more focused on short cast flash briefings and interactivity was kind of their number one ask is a way yeah. to interact with their audience. Either like you said, with a, a question in the middle, which then you get, you can answer or almost this feedback mechanism. How do you like the show today? What can I do next time, et cetera? I think there's huge opportunities there for the industry. And I love the idea of, of personalizing it right? And being able to create uh, content. But me as a listener, I get my own personal content that may be a little different than your content that you hear. Tons of opportunity gets me pretty excited to think about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, those things like the reason why those are the first things that I go to is because that's really where all of my success comes from. Uh, I have over 500 Amazon reviews and nearly all of them say, you know, I'm listening every single day and I love it because it sounds like you're a friend or it sounds like, you know, you really also, I, I know that you love video games and I love video games and I want to be a part of that, you know? And so that really just comes from, from listening to my audience and, and the kinds of things that they're loving. Hey, what's your favorite flash briefing? Mm, good question. Um, I'm really big on, on a flash briefing called the Waltz Daily. Uh, they, are, they are a duo, uh, husband and wife. Uh, one of them does all of the re the recording and the content. The other one does the promotion and the marketing and the business side of things. They do a really great job at going in with their promise, with their with the thing that they care about, which is Disney World, uh, talking about it for three minutes and getting out. Uh, they She doesn't even say what her name is. They don't plug anything. They're not trying to really build a business or anything. They're just going in and they're saying, hey, it's kind of similar to me. We love Walt Disney. Let me tell you about Walt Disney. And goodness knows there's a lot of Walt Disney fans out there. 
so if you want to look at like somebody who's doing something right uh, in terms of moving flash briefings as a whole forward and, and really taking the concept and, and running with it, uh, take a look at the Walt Daily. Um, another flash briefing I really love uh, is from a, a man named Robert John Boyle. Uh, and he has a flash briefing called uh, RJB365. And uh, he is doing something really cool with what I was talking about earlier, where he's always trying something new. Uh, every time I listen, it's a unique experience. It's something that I'm not expecting. Uh, he loves to use music and sound effects and uh, different topics every single day. Uh, he, I don't think he gets a, an insane number of listeners, but I've been trying to push people to go and listen to him uh, because he's doing a lot of really fun things. Great. So the Walt Daily and RJB365, I'm going to have to definitely check those out myself. So what are your plans for 2020 with the Gaming Observer or just uh, life in general? Yeah, that's a tough one. The current plan is to stay the course. Things have been going really well, at least for 2020. That's the plan. Like I said, things have been going well. I'm going to be finishing my degree after a period of time where I thought I wasn't going to be. So I'm comfortable just continuing to do what I'm doing uh, because it has been working. Looking at the year after, uh, that is the year that I start looking at making the Observer a full-time thing, maybe a part-time thing with another part-time job in real life, um, really trying to monetize. Uh, because then that's going to obviously be a huge life change. I'm going to be graduating. Uh, I'm going to be looking for a job if the observer can't be my job. Um, but as it stands, I'm really just looking at head down, get through school, uh, keep producing really great content for 2020. And uh, hopefully that's going to really propel me into 2021. Sounds like you'd like to make the, the observer your job. Uh, I would. Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's complicated. It's complex. There's a lot of things to consider. But it, it's certainly an opportunity. And, and I, I don't expect to make it my full-time job. I have, I, I'm going to try to. Uh, but I'm going in with no expectations because I have gone in with no expectations this entire time. And anything I could ever conceivably think of has been blown out of the water. Uh, I never thought I would get to the point where I am today. Uh, so who knows where I can go in the future is really the approach I'm taking it. Yeah, you know, before the podcast started, you and I were talking about pursuing your dreams and how you should always go do that. So uh, give you your own advice. Go pursue your dreams and <laughs> make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the goal, right? And, and ultimately, if it doesn't work out, uh, I'm comfortable. You know, we, the original plan before I started The Observer was either to go work freelance in the theater industry or to go teach English overseas uh, with my partner. And I'm comfortable doing both of those things, right? And so... Uh, I'm, I'm excited for those things. And, and if, if the observer doesn't work out, it was all worth it. You know, I've had a, just an absolutely tremendous experience creating. Uh, I, don't, I haven't had a chance to say this yet, but I, I do want to throw it out there. If you're thinking about creating a flash briefing, I, I highly, highly encourage you to do it because for me, it hasn't just been a business or a, a whatever you want to call it, you know, fill in the word business, an entrepreneurial thing. It has been... Uh, really a life-changing experience. Um, I get people reaching out to me on a frequent basis saying how I've touched them or how I've, I've helped them through life. Uh, I, the, the example I always give is, is that there was this dad who was out of touch with video games for a long time. Uh, he didn't play video games anymore, but his son played video games all the time. And he was like, okay, I, I don't know video games very well, so I'm going to go listen to this show. And he started listening to my show every single day. And then he left me a message saying, hey, I'm closer with my son now because I've been listening to your show. 
And it's like, I got that message and my heart was breaking. Like, that is what I'm doing this for now. That has been my inspiration to keep going through all of this. And I'm getting messages like that frequently. And so even if this were to end tomorrow, it would have all been worth it for that. So anyway, I just wow. want to throw that in there. Wow. I, I love that story. I love stories like that. That's really what keeps you going. Uh, touching people. Yeah. So Adrian, simple question. If people want to hear the Gaving Observer, how do they do so? Sure. Yeah. Um, if you want to find the links to everything that I'm doing, you can go to thegamingobserver.com. Uh, you can also find me on all of the major uh, voice platforms. So on Alexa, you can find the flash briefing. On Google, you just say talk to the Gaming Observer. And on Bixby, you say hi, Bixby, play the Gaming Observer. Uh, so I'm Perfect. available on, on all of those platforms. Yeah, we'll put links to the Gaming Observer in the show notes. And for all my listeners, enable the capsule. Hi, Bixby, play the Gaming Observer. And if people want to keep in contact with you and understand where you're going or where the Gaming Observer is going, what's the best way to do so? Sure. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter at Gaming underscore Observer. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn, Adrian Simple. Uh, or if you'd like, I, the, the website is currently down, but my email is adrian at adriansimple.com. Adrian, thank you. It's really been a pleasure talking to you about shortcasts, voice and gaming, and I can feel really your passion for what you do, your passion for games and for sharing your views and news about games with your listeners, which is what has led to all your success, I really think, is, is sharing that passion. You've accomplished an incredible amount. Keep up the amazing work, pursue those dreams, and thank you very much. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for, for having me on. Uh, it's been great to see what Bixby is doing in this space. I'm really excited to see how things move forward with you guys. Um, and it, it really means a lot to me for, to, to be on this podcast. So thank you. Well, thank you, Adrian. That's all, folks. Till next time, this is Roger Kibbe of the Bixby Developers Chat Podcast, signing off. <laughs>